Okay there, Saints. Um, you should have an outline um, to get you through tonight. Um, if not, raise your hand. We'll make sure that you get one. So tonight, Exodus chapter 12, or actually chapter 20, verse 12, is what we're at. So let's bow our hearts. Father, we are once again anticipating receiving from you. Clarity, direction, um, perfection in your word, perfection in your commandment. But yet, failures in our own hearts, failures in our own lives. But we are looking forward to, Lord, knowing that there is no condemnation in you. There's no condemnation in this message, but it is, Father, a revelation. That we can see these things that you, through your spirit, will teach us tonight and walk closer to you. That we can live a life that the world could see what we do and they would glorify you. And so tonight, Father, once again, wash our hearts, wash our minds, wash us, Lord. Um, and then knit us closer and closer to your heart. With all these things, we want to give you glory. Asking for an outpouring of your spirit upon your word here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we've been going through Exodus chapter 20, the key being in verse 1, and God spoke all these words. This is also known as the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. The world considers them the Ten Suggestions. We know better um, as far as what the world is wanting to, you know, belittle them. We look at them in, in as far as off, and an amazing thing that God has done. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, is now changing. The first four commandments dealt with God, God alone, honoring him in the different ways, um, seeking no other gods, and, and of course, you know, realizing don't use his name in vain, the Sabbath, um, and uh, not having idols. And so, now in verse 12, he makes this statement, Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. I pondered this. And I've wondered that if there was ever another civil war in America, and we divided, and that there would be, you know, governing nations, and a whole new nation would take over. And if this nation would make ten Laws, ten things that, that we as a society should, should walk in and do. Which society would make a law about children honoring their mothers and fathers? And yet God set this up in societal regulations. And God is so wise. So as we look to this, I think it's important that here... Once again, we've noted that this commandment is, is um, it's perfect in, in what God is declaring, but it's also a plumb line. Now, we've talked about what a plumb line is. One of these days, maybe we'll get a, a, a visual up here, but it's simply a string that just has a weight on the bottom, and it shows you absolute perfect straightness, what's exactly up and down. You have a long string, and of course, the, the walls that are there, you can see, wow, that wall's not that perfect. Well, the plumb line doesn't make the issues in the wall, doesn't fix the issues in the wall, it simply reveals it. 
And that's what these commandments are to do. They are to reveal us. They're to make it so that the whole world stands guilty before God and every mouth may be shut. That's what these, the, these um, ten words of God declare. Now, understand that there are not nine adult commandments and one child commandment. Because like the adults, you can handle nine. Kids, you just got one. This isn't the child's commandment. This is a commandment for society. And it's a commandment as much for the teachers or, or the parents as it is for the children itself. And so it doesn't say, little children, honor your mother and father. It says, simply, honor your mother and father. What does that look like? Well, what happens is this. As we look to this command, it's the same as all the other commands that these are the commands of the heart. When Paul wrote the New Testament, he said, the commandments were great. I love the commandments until I got to the 10th one, where it says, do not cover it. And then I realized this is a commandment of the heart. I was trying to do all the other things outwardly, but when the 10th one came and I remembered this is a thing of the heart, I can't control the heart. I failed in this commandment. Then I realized, you know what? They're really all commandments of the heart. And so we see here that really it is a commandment of our, of our hearts to direct our hearts. And the key is going to be found in the verb. When it simply says, honor your father and mother. The word honor, for those of you that are familiar or have researched it there in the Hebrew, is the term kabod. It's a term that God uses to declare his glory. Kabod means it's a weightiness, it's a heaviness. It's something that when, when you see God's glory, it's tangible, it's kabod. And so within that, keep in mind that it's, it's sort of like when you think of a scale. And, and when you have weightiness on one side, and then you have something else on the other side. And so the weight is kabod, honor. Honor this. And it's honor your mother and father. And then what's on the other side? Well, something that's not honoring my will. Something that I think, well, maybe this is an exception. And so as we go through that, the, the will of the parents should outweigh the will of the child. And when a child is younger, we realize that those things are, are true. And so what happens is this. The child is learning. It isn't about what I want, when I want, and how I want. I mean, they get that for the first, like, six months, nine months of their life. It's what I want, how, you know, when a child cries, a parent, because they're exhausted, does everything they can, what can I do to make you happy? And that's what they do. And eventually that child realizes, well, um, they're not always going to give me candy when I want. I'm, I'm hungry. I don't want peas. Sorry, you got to eat your peas, kid. It's just the way. No, I want candy. I want a cookie. That ain't going to happen. And so we're learning that there are rules and regulations within the society of the home that we do. And, and it's about the will of the parents. The will of the parents will say, you do this, you don't do this. The, the, the parent is going to teach a child, if, if I'm going to give you this, you have to say please. And after I give it to you, say thank you, or you're not going to get a second one. And so there's things that we do teach our children. But all those things that we're teaching them is, is, is this. There's others in your life. And it's not just about doing what you want. It's about recognizing that you're in this society, a miniature society as the family is, 
but you're in the society of more than just you, and there are rules and regulations in the society. And so we teach them that. And it is an amazing thing that we do eventually realize the children, the will of the parent outweighs our will. There have been times, and what's, what's amazing is to watch our grandchildren. We have a little bit more flexibility with our grandchildren than we do with our children, but we have knickknacks in places around our house, and every so often when the grandchildren begin to crawl, the grandchildren begin to stand, they'll come up and they'll, they'll go for the knickknacks, and we'll say, no, no, you can't have the knickknacks. You have to leave that. Those are nanas. Those are poppies. And, and so, but there are times where the, 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 the grandbaby will look at us and smile, <laughs> And they no, no, you, you don't do that. That's not yours. That's ours. And, and, and sometimes, you know, they get a little hand slap and like, you can't do that. And then a big pow comes out. And, but they're learning what? They're learning that there are other wills besides your own. You don't get to do everything you simply want. And the parent begins to instill that in the child from, you know, as soon as they begin to crawl, as soon as they begin to move, as soon as they, they begin to direct. And so you don't tell a child to stop crying when they're a baby. You know, if they're, you, you're, what's going on? You're, you're crying for a reason. Do I need to change you? Do I need to feed you? Are you overtired? What is it that I need to do? And so we don't make them stop crying, but eventually we do begin to instruct them. We begin to teach them. But it's all about what? There's others, not just you. And this is a great thing that we begin to teach about honoring. And that's what it is. The will of the parent outweighs your will. So it's almost like, you know, Jesus, when, when he said there in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, 42, where he made that statement, he said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's simply a surrender. And it's a surrender of the will to a higher authority. It's a surrender of the will to someone beyond your own. And so this kabod is, is a unique term. There are two passages that I want to give to you just so you can understand what this word kabod is. And I'm going to use it um, where you can kind of see what the, the, the deal is. In Leviticus chapter 10, I want to read you just the first couple of verses. And you guys know this already as far as Nadab and Abihu. But I want to show you how this, this fits in as far as where God makes the statement as far as the kabod, um, he'll say in verse 3, I must be regarded as holy. But, but listen to what he says. In Leviticus 10, verse 1, the Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord, devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, What? This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded, kabod, as holy. In other words, weigh this out. I must be me, and my position is above all other thoughts, all other thinking, all other positions that you may come up with. And this is true with every word of God. It always outweighs the thinking of man. And so every thought, every action, the systems and thoughts of men must be judged according to the clear teaching of the scriptures and what it says to be true. Not what we want them to say or if we can make it out of context, but what scripture as a whole says, this is how we need to view it. And I love what the Lord says, I must be regarded. You have to kabod me. 
And, and so honor me as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. And so we begin to see how this kabod actually comes out. And, and it's just a beautiful way that the Lord begins to reveal it. Another passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want to read verse 20 to you. But it, it, it makes this statement. Oh, wait. Strike that. Deuteronomy 28 um, verse 58 is what I want to read. He makes a statement. If you do not look, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious, and that term is kabod, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name. And then he says, the Lord your God or Yahweh Elohim. And so he uses this term that you may fear this glorious, and that's a kabod, this weighty, heavy, honored name. And this is here what that term honor is. It simply says, so honor your mother and father. What does it mean to honor your mother and father? Does it mean that there's a, a time limit that we do? You know, how do we go and we manage that point of honoring them? There's a passage that you should be aware of. Every Christian should be aware of this when it comes to honoring parents. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 35. And it's a group of Israelites. You'll know them as we go through this. But they're known as the sons of Rechab. They're known as the Rechabites. And it opens up this. Jeremiah chapter 35. Beginning in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites. Speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. And then I took Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, and Habazaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, and the sons of Deliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes above the chamber of Maaseiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, verse 5, bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. Now wine, of course, is what? When Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding. Wine is that source of joy. But they said in verse Six, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, or have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. So they have a direction. You don't put down roots, and one of the things you don't do is you don't drink wine. This is not for you. And they say this in verse 8, and this is incredible. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us. To drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters. Think about that. 
One dad gives a rule and the wife comes in, this is the rule of the house. Kids come in, this is the rule of the house. This is the directive. Now keep in mind that when our father gives us a command and we make that a rule of the house, this is the rule of the house. Why? Because our father says so. It's not my rule, it's the rule of our father. And, and we realize that when he begins to direct me, if our children see us submitting to this authority of the will of the father, then they're going to say, well, then I need to submit to it as well. But you understand that when they see us not submitting to the will of the Father, and then we tell them, do this. Well, you're not submitting to the will. So understand that this word was for the Father, the wives, the kids, everyone involved obeyed now this word. It was now the word of the household. It didn't change because of who you were, your age, whatever. And I think that's so true that your children should see you walking the same truth that we want them to walk doing the same things that we want them to do. And so I love the heart of it. There again, in verse 8, I'm going to read it, and then I'll move on to 9. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all things that he charges, to drink no wine in all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyards, field or sea. But, verse 10, we have dealt in tents, Intense and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. Now, verse 11 But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up to the land, and we said, Come, let's go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell, we dwell at Jerusalem. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, That says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And to go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction and obey my words, says the Lord? Now think about that. You think of a father figure. Here's the Rechabites completely obeying the word of their earthly father. And here's the rest of Israel. What are they doing to the words of their heavenly father? And so he says this again, verse 13, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed for to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. Two things of note here that I want you to recognize. One, God knows what the sons of Rechab are doing. He knows the sons of Jonadab are obeying their father. And you know what? God is taking pleasure in that. He is being glorified in that. And then he asks, of course, now he's comparing, of course, them to him. He says, look at what they're doing, and I'm aware of what they're doing. I'm being glorified in what they're doing. But look at, I can't be glorified in what you're doing. You're not honoring me. I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking. I'm trying to get you, but you do not obey me. Verse 15, I've also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way and amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear to obey me. I want to keep you here. But look at what you're doing. You're not obeying me. 
So verse 16, surely the sons of Jonadab, the sons of Rechab, had performed the commandments of their father, which he commanded them. But this people had not obeyed me. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them. They've not heard and I called on them, but they've not answered. Now verse 18, and Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and they kept his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Wow. Think about it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. This is, this is that wonderful thing of God. He says, you're doing this. I want you here by me. And you're going to stand not, not around me, but before me. I know that you're faithful in this ministry. And I think it's important that it, it is, is about looking about this. And so when we have a, a group of people like this, I want you to understand that I don't know what they thought growing up. When they saw their buddies, you know, all of a sudden like, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a glass of wine with dinner. Oh, man. You know, maybe that would be nice to have some wine with fish or wine with steak or, you know, just to have wine somehow and, and wine at a wedding to celebrate. I cannot drink any wine. My dad said no. And yeah, I know I'm 40, but my dad still said no. And, and I can't do this forever, forever. I'm just restricted. And yet all my friends can do that. All the other people can do that. I can't. And what's interesting is I think what's interesting is this, that, you know, the Ten Commandments says do not covet. When you looked at other people's parents and they said, oh, you don't have to be home at nine. You don't have to be home at 10. You can get, you know, they're staying out late. I wish I had their parents. You know what? I just coveted their parents. See, I wasn't happy with the rules and regulations of mine because God put these parents into my life and said, this is the direction that I want you to live to glorify me. It's amazing. Everyone else could drink wine. They could not. Everyone else could build a house. They could not. Everyone else could have a vineyard. They could not. Everything that they did was trusting completely on the Lord and not having anything detract from them completely being able to focus on the Lord. And so I find it just beautiful here that, you know, do we ever compare our parents to another parent, wishing that we had another parent, wishing that, boy, I wish I could have had that parent. And do we ever covet like that? And if we do covet someone else's parents, I wish my parents would be like their parents. Um, is it honoring them? Or is it, you know, I'm so grateful for the parents that I have. It's interesting that when we see the child's will being yielded to the will of the parents, it's like us seeing Jesus being willed to the Father there in Gethsemane. It's, it's that one, I'm going to yield to your will. You, you know, Jesus yield to the Father's will. We yield to Jesus' will. The parents yield to our will. But it's still what? It's still all the Father's will. It's his directives for the home. 
So when it comes to that point of honoring, honor your father and mother. There's a, a point where I want you to see how everything that they do to the parent is, is in a sense tied into doing it to God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, they say this, honor God with your possessions. The same word, the kabod, honor God. So when it says honor your father and mother, we're to do what? We're supposed to honor God with our possessions. So when we can say, well, I'll honor him with this possession, but not that possession. In other words, like I'm not a steward over everything that's God. I'll take credit for this. None of it's mine. It's all God's. And, and I just hold over what's his and I seek him and his will to do it. But if I can, in the sense, say, you know what? This one thing here is an exception. Does that mean that there's something I can say in the way my father, this is an exception. I don't have to honor you in this. Now, this is what the Pharisees would do. Rather than honoring their parents, they say, listen, sorry, mom, dad. I'm Corban. I've been given to God. And, and everything that I have is given to God. And I would like to take care of you in your old age. And I'm sorry that you're living on gruel right now. But uh, I can't give you the money. It's all God's. And he says, you, you take this, this, you know, this tradition of men and you usurp the commandment of God. And yet you consider yourselves to be holy. But I think it's amazing how when you, you look to these words now, that term honor can also um, hold that term to be respect. It is a kabod, it is the weighty, but a lot of times it'll be um, referred to as respect, revere, fear. There's a passage I want you to be aware of found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3. It makes this declaration. And, and so Leviticus 19, verse 3, says this, Every one of you shall revere his father and mother and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. Now, he's going to give them this new direction here in Leviticus, and it says, I want you to revere your parents. I want you to, and it means respect, it means revere, it means to fear. In the same way in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, that same word is used where he makes this statement, you shall fear, that same word for revere, you shall respect, you shall revere, you shall fear, as he goes on here, the Lord your God, and you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. You understand that everything you're, you're wanting your children to do, God wants you to do. And this is the heart. This is the heart of training your children in the ways of the Lord. It's one of those things that when God is trying to teach the children how to react or how to realize you're not alone in this society, it's about others in society, it's about elevating others in society, where Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, if you're familiar with that passage, actually makes this declaration to obey. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Is it possible to obey your parents and not honor them? In other words, I'll do what you say, but I'm not doing it on the inside. I'm doing what you're saying, but I'm not happy with you. 
And so do you speak of your parents and the things that they had you do with dignity? Do you elevate them? And now, now understand, there are many times that we would say, my parents weren't worthy of the dignity. My parents weren't worthy of me elevating them or speaking to them. But it's important to honor the position that God put them in. You may not agree with everything that they do, but do you honor that position that God put them in? In Romans chapter 13, there's this great passage that God kind of teaches us as far as dealing with um, the government, dealing with those types of things. But in Romans 13, I want to read verse 1, and then I want to read the first part of verse, or the last part of verse 6. Because it says this in Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 2, There whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God. So we see that there is a position, the authority. Now, do we agree with them? Well, maybe it depends on who's the administration that's under. That that could be. And, and maybe it's what I would rather do. But keep in mind that when a law is passed, the law is passed. If that law, we've talked about this before, if that law usurps and it goes outside of their sphere of authority that God put them in, if they want to control another sphere like the church, they cannot control the church what we believe is the doctrine. They can't declare to the church what we believe in as the, the definition of marriage between one man and one woman. The government has no right to control a different sphere. They have a right in their own sphere. We honor that within that sphere. But in the end of verse 6, it says this, They are God's minister attending continually to this very thing. I find it interesting you honor that position. God tells the, the wife, submit to your, your husband. You, he may not be smarter than you, he may not be better, but you honor that position. The fact that God had put him as the head of the house. And, and the same thing, and so there's a, an understanding of when a parent is there, you honor that position of a parent, and do you, you know, ever come and try to tear down that position by the way you speak, maybe by the way your heart is. I want you to realize that a child's first understanding in life, we've been discussing this, is about two people, and God puts both of them before this child, and those two people have authority. Now, initially, they do everything for that child. The child doesn't have to pay for diapers. The child doesn't have to pay for the milk. The child doesn't have to pay for the time, the, the parents babysitting them. The child gets it all free and clear because the parents just do it out of what? Out of love. That's it. You don't owe me anything, kid. This is all just because we love you. And the child gets a little older, and then we, we begin to do what? We begin to teach them. Listen, I provided for you. I protected you. I'm going to continue to provide for you. I'm going to continue to protect you. But I'm also going to direct you. And this is the thing that parents do. I provide, I protect, but I also direct. Now, what does God do? Amazingly, God provides, God protects, but he also directs. And, and the way that he provides and the way that he protects is by directing us to his will, to directing us to his heart. And so the, the children are going to learn to recognize the authority of these two people that God has put in their lives. When they say, don't touch that, 
If the child goes and touch that, what are the parents going to do? They're going to show you, listen, I'm authority. I'm going to give you a little bit of pain. I'm going to you know, tap your hand and the little baby's going to pout, the little baby's going to cry. And like, it's still no. And, and what's amazing is that the parents are going to teach this, their children social skills in a very, very small society. We have a society of three. <laughs> Then eventually it grows to a society of four and five and six, and sometimes it grows more than that. But you understand, it's a very small society. It's a society of this home, no more, no less. And, and the parent teaches them the, the, the social skills that they need in this small society. In other words, you have to respect something that's not yours. Sorry, it's not yours. You have to respect it. Don't take their toy. Give it back. You can't steal. It's not your toy. You have to take it back. You have to share your toys. You have to say you're sorry. And then the thing the parent, we, this is how we get along in this society. I'm teaching you skills to do this. Say please. Say thank you. Bad ones. It's time for bed. But but I'm not tired. You gotta take a nap. But I'm not tired. And all these things. Like, hey, these are the, the things to help you get ready. Brush your teeth, eat your vegetables. Societal rules. These are small society skills that teach the child skills for when they go into the larger society. You're not alone. It isn't about you. Now, how many people do you know coming in this day and age where they actually are thinking, society is all about me now? You know, I don't know what they would think if John F. Kennedy came on the scene and said, it's not what... Your country can do for you what you can do for your country. They would say, who made you president? Get out of here. They, they have no concept. But keep in mind that these parents, they guide their teaching, their, their children. They're teaching them in the same way that they're going to honor a parent whom you can see. Watch us honor a God that we can't see. Because he's still our father. And when you watch me honor this God that I, I can't see and you can't see, when you honor me, you're really honoring him. So what you're saying is, I'm just a reflection. And so eventually I'm holding your hand and I'm holding God's hand, but I'm going to let go of, of, of your hands and put you right with God. You're going to walk with him now. You're going to honor him in the same way as you've honored me. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. And he's going to direct you. And this is what we teach our children to do. And we do what? We honor them in that. Now, there, now, now keep in mind that our society is, is not training like we do to put others first. And that's what this small society of the family is. You put others first. Be kind to your brother. Be kind to your sister. Don't do this. Don't do that. Say please. Say thank you. There, there should be this form of respect for what you're getting and honoring and, and what happens is, if you're not teaching your children to honor, if you're not teaching them how to be, you know, proper citizens of this little small society called the home, then what's going to happen is you're not teaching them to love. You're not teaching them to put others first. You're not teaching them truly what it is to honor. 
you take a look at everything that happens in social media, you recognize everything. So it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm having for dinner. Look at what the, the, here's a picture of where I'm looking at. And everything is, is about me, 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 me. And, and it's interesting that, that what Jesus would teach us in Luke 9, 23 is what? Seek first, you know, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross daily and follow me. It's not about you. It's about denying you. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 29. He who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which please the Father. <laughs> it's not like I usually do those things. See, that would be me. I usually did those things that please my parents. Well, I couldn't even say that. I tried to usually, no, I couldn't even say that. I sometimes got lucky and did those things that pleased my parents. And, and so, but he always did it. And that, that wasn't an exaggeration. He, he, he waited for the Father's will, heard the Father's will, desired to do that. And, and what happens to children that are not taught the proper social skills to put others first? Let me just ask you a question. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, where do murderers come from? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, where do adulterers come from? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, where do thieves come from? Where do liars come from? Where do those who cover come from? You know what they come from? They come from children that are not putting the society in their proper ways. They're not putting people and their lives ahead of their own. They're not honoring the lives of someone else. They're not loving. They're not recognizing what is society. They're not honoring their wives. They're not putting their wives in that relationship of commitment before every other thing that they want in their own lives. Do you realize all that stems from this? Every one of them stems from you botched this one Everything else is going to fall apart beyond that. And I find it incredible that when this is taught in the way that God desires it to be taught, that the children do what? Well, they're honoring God. You understand the society they honor is the one that God says it's about others and it's about loving, it's about serving, it's about being part of this and working in harmony. But the best way to find that it's harmony is when you don't do your will. You deny your will and you make sure that, that what others will are, it's weightier than yours. It, it outweighs me. And so you simply want to serve. And this is an amazing thought that when it comes to this whole area. But there's a flip side to everything and I want you to realize that. There are some husbands who use that passage in Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as a way to control the wife. There are some wives who use that passage in Ephesians 5.25 you know, to control the husband. You're not loving me. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You know, and, and so there are parents who use this verse to control their kids. This verse isn't a controlling verse. This verse is a guiding verse. And it's to teach them. It's, 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 it's to train the hearts of the children. Children honor. You know, you know what this is? It's about your heart. It's about your heart giving over to others. Here's a little society called our house. This is how you behave in the society. You're not the, the king of the society. And the amazing thing is that, you know, we learn when we grow up and we have children that I'm not the king of the house. It's I'm not. I'm a servant within the house, and the house is what? 
I'm a steward of it, still God's. And he's my authority over all things. And, and so when we look to this, the, the, the same father who gives this verse, children, you know, honor your mother and father. And they do what? Well, they don't love their wives. Wives, honor your mother and father, but they don't submit to their husbands. What does this do? What's it teaching the kids? And, and I think it's interesting that, that what we see here is that this verse is designed to teach a child how to train a child's heart into others and loving and saying, put the needs of others as a weightier thing than your own. And we'll try to do that with you as well. And so it isn't just about everything you want and everything you want. And because when you do that, you're training the, the child's heart into others and others and others. You're learning what it really is to worship God and how to serve Christ. It's about others. It, it's about love. My mom, um, I'll tell you what, when I did something wrong, I did not obey my mother. I was disciplined. When I made a mistake, I was disciplined. That was just the rule of the house. You do something wrong, you're just disciplined. It's just You knew it was coming. There wasn't a thought. And you feared the discipline. That was my whole life growing up. I feared the discipline. I feared the discipline. And then I tried to figure out how to get away from the discipline. Because there wasn't any reasoning. There was just going to be discipline. When I was younger, I actually went to visit my father and I made a mistake. And you know what he did? Something unique and different. He taught me. He said, this is wrong. Like, oh my goodness. And that's what God does. God in his word constantly says, this is wrong. Now, the amazing thing that God does when he says this is wrong, he gives you clarification. He said, this is wrong and here's why it's wrong. I love God. He doesn't just say no. I mean, how many times do your parents just hear no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And when you hit about three or four or five, you learn this wonderful three-letter word. Why? Why is it wrong? The amazing thing is God answers that question. He doesn't let you say why. He says, no, don't do this because this is the outcome. But instead, do this. See, parents just, my parents told me, no, 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 no. God says, don't do it. Here's the reason why you shouldn't do it, but I'm going to give you something else to do instead. See, when, when my parents told me no, it was just don't do this. But God always says, I'll give you something else to think about now. I'll give you something else that you can do. Don't do that, but you can do this. If you want to honor me, if you want to please me, don't do that, but you can do this. Like, then I want to do that. How amazing is that training up your child? And what happens is that I went to visit my, 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 my father that, and I made mistakes that I was taught what was right. It, it was different. And when I disobeyed him, it was, it was one of those things that um, he sat me down and he told me how sad he was that I didn't respect him enough or his house to... Listen to him. I'll tell you what, just beat the snot out of me. It would have been a lot easier for me to handle than me breaking your heart. And, and it was one of those things where 
you know, it, it's what we did as kids. We, we roughed house, we roughed house. And, and uh, he just said, you know, don't, don't wrestle in the house, don't wrestle in the house. And, and of course we wrestled again. And he, he took me, he sat me down and says, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm hurt that, that you know, I'm, I'm, I love you and I want to, you know, see you grow into a man and, and I'm hurt that you're not listening. And it, it, it crushed me. And like, I wanted him to know that I respected him. I, that, that's what I did. It's like, and, it, and it changed me. I did not wrestle in his house. I wrestled in my mom's house all the time. But I didn't wrestle in his house ever again. It was, it was a whole different way of doing it. And I want you to realize, and this is sad, but it's true, that there are loving families and there are abusive families. I, I would have liked to not go here, but God said we're doing foundational, so let's look at what it is to be foundational. It's always easy to say, oh, this is easy for, for the average person because they had great parents. What do you do for a, a, a parent that is abusive? Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. You guys know the passage. We went through Matthew. You know it. It simply says this. Love your enemies. Whoa. If you can love your enemies, you can love your parents. And if your parents become your enemies, then love your enemies. Love them. Love them. Now, how do you honor an abusive parent? This is, these are big questions that come. So let me take you through a couple of passages simply to help kind of guide us through. Some parents will do physical abuse. Some will do mental abuse. Um, and, and so some tear down their, um, the, the spirit of their children and they break them. And so there's, there's all kinds of abuses. There's physical abuse, mental abuse. And just tearing them down into becoming worthless and nothing. And to be honest with you, some do all of the above. Some, they're just, they're just horrible parents. It's easy to honor a loving parent. But so often we as Christians, we sometimes wrestle. Now, how do I honor an abusive parent? Can I honor an abusive parent? Is there a way for me to honor abusive parents? So when I wrestle with this, it brings about this guilt and it brings confusion. And sometimes it brings about just tears saying, God, how can I truly walk this walk? And, 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 and I, how can I, as I'm wrestling with how to honor, how can I do this? And I have this guilt, I have this shame that I haven't done it in the past. And then the, the question is now, how do I protect my, my own self? How do I protect my heart? How do I protect my mind and my mental health and talking to my parents? Because they don't get any of what I'm doing as a Christian. They didn't get me as a kid. They don't get me as an adult. What do I do? How do I come and approach that? How do I protect you know, myself and my heart and my mind and my, my mental from the mental? How do I protect my family from these people and still honor them? Great questions. First and foremost, and this is not required being in their presence, mind you, is first and foremost, forgive. you got to forgive. Matthew 18, Jesus gave this amazing message on forgiving, on how much we've been forgiven. How do we not forgive those who have done so little to us when we've done so much to God? And he makes this statement that if you do not forgive, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you, trespass, like, oh, that's heavy-duty stuff. 
And it's about forgiveness. And I think what happens is this, when, when, you, when you have that kind of prayer, do not become bitter. Hebrews teaches us that when we become bitter against our parents, the bitterness defiles us, not them. So it's important that if I can forgive them to say, you know what, yeah, you sinned. And, and not only did you sin against God, you personally sinned against me. But you know what, my forgiveness does not require you asking it. I can initiate forgiveness in the same way that Jesus initiated forgiveness on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Same thing, you know, um, where the, in the early church and Stephen, Father, you know, forgive them. Do not lay this to their account. And he initiated forgiveness. We can do that always. And I think it's important that we don't become bitter. Don't talk bad about your parents. Don't talk about them in a way that's disparaging. You know, like, oh, I wish I had that parent. Well, you're coveting now. You know, realize that, yeah, they may have not been the best parents, but you can find those certain things that they did. I'm alive today because of my parents. I'm mentally where I am today because of God. <laughs> but I'm alive today because from the moment I was born, they fed me and they cared for me and they did the things that they, 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 they tried. As much as they knew, they did the things that their parents did, and, and it's it just, you know, they, I won't speak disparaging. But what happens is when we speak disparaging about our parents, it reveals more of my heart than it reveals about them. And this is what God is trying to say. Do you want to honor your parents, abusive ones? Then forgive them. Um, don't, don't be bitter towards them. Because you, what happens is this, it's almost about... You know, we, 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 we focus more on my relationship with Christ and what he's taught me to be as a parent, what he's taught me to be, and I'm focusing more on him than on my unhealthy parents. And when I do that, he's going to be pointing me to, you know what, I have compassion towards you now. I actually feel sorry because of all the things that you missed out on in life. See, I as a parent, I get to do different things, and I'm enjoying my children. My children are enjoying me, and, and it's incredible to see what they miss out on. And, and they missed out on so much of this relationship that other people are able to have with me. And you know what? And now I just, rather than being angry with them, I'm kind of sad. I'm kind of sad because they didn't get to experience all those blessings that I'm experiencing. That's the joy of God. The other thing is after you forgive us this, number two is do not respond in like manner. If they display bitterness, if they display anger, if they display whatever they display, we need to display kindness and understanding. We need to um, recognize that they had this spiritual turmoil experience. In other words, they were like righteous, righteous lot there in Sodom. Their righteous soul is tormented, or they're unrighteous. I don't know which one it is, but, but they're tormented. They don't have the spiritual joy that we have. And, and keep in mind that Ephesians 6.12 says, well, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They don't realize that they've been given over to the enemy. And, and it's important that when we do this, we need to seek to love the person, not the sin. We separate the sinner from the sin. And realize, God, you died for that sinner. You love that sinner. And if you love that sinner, you don't love their sin. You didn't love my sin. But yet you loved me in that sin. And you died for me in that sin. 
This is who you are, and this is what you've done, and I'm so grateful that, that what you've done. And, and keep in mind that I'm not going to respond in like manner. I'm not going to seek out vengeance. You earned this, and you deserve this, and you should have this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That, that's what he says there in Romans 12, 19. It's his. Our job is what? Love the sinner. And I don't have to be in your presence to love you, but I, I do need to, one, make sure that in my mind that I'm displaying kindness towards you. That I'm not displaying, I'm not being a mirror of what you are back to me, but I'm being God's love back to you. So when I'm in your presence or I'm on the phone or I'm having a, a conversation, that if it begins to drift where I realize my heart's not right, I got to go. I got to go. I, I can't be that that what God has desired me to be. So one, forgive them. You've got to forgive her, and there's nothing else that's going to make any difference. Then be careful that I don't respond in the way they do. And the third thing is just pray for them. Oh my goodness, do you realize that you have a power, a weapon in God that is mighty for the tearing down the strongholds? The enemy has them in a thing and you pray for them and you pray for them and you pray for them. And then while you're praying for them, you have to let go of all of these expectations that they're going to change so that you can love them. It's like, I can love you just the way you are. You don't have to change for me to love you. And you know what happens when, when you begin to pray for them and you begin to let go of their expectations, you don't demand, you know what, they're not going to disappoint you anymore. Because I don't expect this out of you. I, I don't, God's going to do what he's going to do. And I'm just going to show you his love. And, and when that begins to happen, I can, ex, I can truly, with everything I have, I can accept them for who they are. I can accept them in their flaws. Why? Does God accept me and my flaws? Does God accept you and your flaws? Now, now understood he loved you while you were yet sinners. Christ died for you. But now you have no flaws. I understand. Does God still love you? No, we still have flaws. Has he stopped loving us? Has he stopped ministering to us? The answer is what? No. And this is what's so important that Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. What a great word. It, it, it's perfect. And it's about, it's about loving the person, not necessarily loving the, the, the sin. The other thing is this. Lastly, and this, I have to make a statement that do not enable bad behavior. And you don't have to walk in bad behavior. You don't have to accept bad behavior. There can be clear boundaries to what you say, I accept this and I don't accept that. And so you can have boundaries and still say, I can honor you. Because one, you know, I'm going through all the things that we've talked about. And I'm, I'm at this point where I've forgiven you. And, and I'm, I'm not responding the way that you do. I'm praying for you. All these things that I'm supposed to be doing. But I, I have to make sure that what I'm going to do is I'm not going to... Um, I have to set up a boundary for my own protection, for my own me. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm going to do. There's a passage that I want you to become aware of this. It's found in Numbers chapter 26. Before you get there, I want you to focus on Numbers chapter 16. What happens in this, there are a, a group of children that are the sons of Korah. Now, who is Korah? 
Let me take you to number 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the sons of Kohath, the sons of Levi, with Dathan, Abiram, and Eliab, and On, the son of Pela, the son of Reuben, took men. Number 16, verse 2, And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representative of the congregation of men. Verse 3, And they gathered against Moses and Aaron and said, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them, the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, eventually Moses is going to get on his face. He's going to say, All right, you guys go do what you're going to do. Bring your censors before God. Aaron will bring his censor. And what happens is this. In number 16, beginning in verse 26, he spoke to the congregation, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing that is theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, the ringleader, Dathan and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram now, not Korah, but Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Do you understand? Dathan and Abiram bring their whole family. Korah, something's missing. Korah is there, but, but Dathan and Abiram have their whole family. He does not. In verse 30, it goes this. Verse 29, these guys died naturally for all men. God hasn't sent me. But verse 30, but if the Lord creates a new thing, the earth opens, mouth swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down into the pit alive, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking these words, the ground split under them, apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up with their households, and all the men with Korah and all their goods. So keep in mind that all the family of Dathan and Byram and Korah, but not his family, uniquely. In verse 33, so they and all those went with them down to the alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were astounded around them fled at their cry, for they said, Let the, lest the earth swallow us up also. And fire came from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Boy, don't rebel against God's anointed. That's a good lesson. But here's the key. Numbers chapter 26. Look at verses 9 through 11, and I want you to grasp what's happening here. It says in Numbers 26, verse 9, the, the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord. Now, they weren't against Moses, they were against God. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men, they became the sign. Nevertheless, verse 11, the children of Korah did not die. The children of Nathan and Byron did, but Korah's children said, Dad, you're on your own on this one. Love you, honor you, respect you, but we're, you're on your own here. And they didn't follow them in sin. There was a boundary. There was a border. And biblically, we see that this is true, and it's okay. I want you to realize that the sons of Korah would become worshipers. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 32 through 37, if you're interested. They would become gatekeepers. First Chronicles chapter 9, verse 19. 
They wrote the Psalms. The sons of Korah would write in the Psalms. They'd, they'd write 11 Psalms in totality. They'd write, as the deer pants for the water. Oh my goodness, how incredible is that? That these sons, they, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't perish because they said, we're not going to follow you, Dad. They would say, how lovely is your tabernacle? It's incredible how, how the, these sons of Korah would speak such beautiful, beautiful psalms. Understand, they refused to support their father in the rebellion. They said, I'll, I'll, I'll love you, I'll honor you, but I have to have a boundary. And so we can have boundaries, and I love that about honoring our parents. So the question that we ask is, do we, do we want to honor? Am I actually focusing on honoring them? And in what capacity can I honor them and still bless them? And the, the question is, is it about me or is it about others? I think it's important for us to recognize that there are all kinds of ways in which we will periodically um, sin. We, we, will, we will speak disparagingly. We will wish we had other parents. We will ourselves sin. And, and while we're sinning, we're doing what? We're not honoring. But God says what? Look to the things that, that they did good. They kept you alive. You're here today. And, and all the lessons that they taught you realize that, that when you saw something that was bad or negative or experienced something bad or negative, when I showed you what was good, then am I not glorified even in a greater way? And so realize God made no mistake when he put us in the families that he put us in. And what he's calling us to do is to honor them. And it's not just simply children honor your parents, but honor our parents in, in the ways that, that he leads us to. And I think it's important for us to, to really recognize, God, this is your heart. And to know that if I had had abusive parents, that I can still honor them in a way that will glorify God, in a way that will still protect me physically and protect my mental health, protect my heart health and spiritual health, that I can do that. And, and as, I, as I pray for them and as I, I, I seek to, um, you know, really say, I, I don't want to respond in the way that you respond. And, and above all things, I forgive you. In our text, he says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land in which the Lord your God has given you. Bitterness, anger, animosity, those things devour us on the inside. Forgiveness, all the other things, frees us from the inside and, and uh, um, <laughs> lowers my blood pressure. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Length of days. Keep in mind, this message was not meant to condemn. It was meant to instruct. It was meant to say, say here's some flaws. They, this message doesn't make the flaws. It doesn't fix the flaws. But, but we can begin to walk in what God says. That, Lord, what I want to do is I want to allow their will as much as possible to outweigh mine. As long as their, their will isn't in opposition to you, Lord, help me be that vessel to honor and glorify you. Amen. Amen. Father, for this word, we are so grateful, so thankful in all that you do and all that you provide. And you are a good, good God. Thank you, Lord, for our parents. Truly, we thank you for them. We're asking, Lord, that you, through your, your wisdom, as you implanted them, Lord, that you would now help us grow with this message that you taught us today. 
that someone's had great parents, it's easy to honor them. But where there were rocky roads and, and tribulations, Lord and Father, help us to come back to the path that you teach, taught us tonight. Someone's had harder ones, and Lord, um, teach us, Lord, on those things that you've called us to. But always, Lord, be glorified so that we can establish this next generation that we can teach our children what we did wrong and what we should have done right, that we can go to our grandchildren and teach them what is right, that we can be putting into this next generation a way that, God, we bring in those that love into the society and seek to have them draw people close to you, into your grace, into your love, into your forgiveness. Oh, do the work in our hearts, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen.